Hi, welcome back to the Village Trader Podcast. I'm your host, Njoko Lintzabak. This podcast is aimed at helping new and experienced traders navigate the markets and learn from other traders. This is episode number 43. In this week's episode, I'm chatting with the head of external research and content at FNB Wealth and, Wealth and Investment, Chantal Marks. How are you doing, Chantal? I'm good, thanks. And you, yeah, that that title is quite a quite a mouthful. Um, but there are so many heads of in the bank that, um, yeah, I guess when you have like a a, a six word title, um, yeah, you should you should be you should be grateful. It's at least something. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm I'm doing quite well. Um, it's been a it's a, been a decent few few weeks on the market, and um, today has been a particularly good day for for the SA Inc shares. And I, I saw on your on your Twitter you posted a, a graph of MTN. I I take it you're long and a very happy man today. Yeah, I'm, I've been long MTN for quite some time now, and I'm, yeah, I was I was quite excited and a little bit late. I don't know we're not supposed to, but um, it's 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 it feels good from time to time when you catch one. Yeah, no, it certainly is, and I know MTN's been a been a pain trade um, for for a while. Although the last few months has at least been looking a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, you know, making I think we hit one thirty one um, today. Oh, wonderful! That's that's great news. Yeah, it's, but I, I, I'm, I'm actually quite curious what what um, drive the move because I never look at at the the, the news or any fundamental coming out. Um, I'm always just curious what drove, what drove the move today. Yeah, so MTN had very good results that came through last week. And uh, a few things that, that kind of stood out that the market really liked. I think the, the key thing was that they were able to repatriate quite a bit of, of cash from Nigeria. And of course, if you're able to get cash out of Nigeria, it means that you're able to reduce debt at a head office level. It just eases pressure on the balance sheets a little bit and cash is king so i think that that's that's really what what drove optimism around the share and then i saw there was a pretty significant broker upgrade uh, coming through on friday as well and perhaps this is just a bit of a delayed response uh, but there are, there are so many reasons i mean mtn's also a high beta stock and we've been seeing some some strong moves from we saw strong moves from the sa inc shares today all the telecom shares were up, um, all of them having reported pretty decent results over the last few weeks, and MTN probably just a little bit um, outsized in terms of its move. So, yeah, a few things. Take your pick and um, I decide which one you want to go do you want to go with, I guess. Yeah, actually, I was, um, in, in my weekly copy of, of Stocks and Play, this week I decided to, to you know, zoom back a little bit and look at the market charts and look at, just to get a... A broader sense of of the longer term trend. A bunch of 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 uh, um, JSC stocks are breaking out on a you know from longer term trend lines and from longer term bases that built took years to build. So we could be seeing we could be up for for quite a good run in our market. Yeah, and I mean I think that uh, quite a few people have been have been calling it and have been quite disappointed um, prior to let's say the last few weeks uh, because even from a fundamental perspective so that's kind of where 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 i fall in i i do i do look at technicals i do buy into technicals absolutely and a lot of our trade ideas 
uh, of, of under or kind of underpinned by by technical analysis framework. But from a fundamental perspective, even a lot of the South African ink stocks have been trading on very low uh, valuations, uh, particularly if you look at them on a relative basis relative to the rest of the world, relative to their histories, relative to common sense. So um, I think that it's been a while coming and it's great to, to finally see those, those moves coming through. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think we saw a, a, a couple of companies reducing debt uh, during, during the COVID crisis. You'd think um, some companies will go into shambles during a pandemic, but uh, most most companies reducing debt, increasing increasing earnings. We saw, we saw um, Sasol as well reducing debt corporate substantially, and interest savings on those uh, uh, on those debt levels are going to come in, uh, uh, about to come back in the balance sheet. Yeah, there's a there's a very famous saying: "Don't let a good crisis go to waste." And I think that there were there were a, a few things that really drove that that debt reduction. Um, the first thing was, thank goodness, interest rates uh, came down and they came down quite nicely, uh, which just means that the the cost of borrowing comes down, which free up, frees up a little bit of cash flow. Um, and a lot of guys were actually looking for inefficiencies in their operating models. So they were saying, where can we cut, cut costs? Where's their duplication? Um, where are we a little bit loosey-goosey in the way that we, we spend money? Um, and they've really tightened up on that. And that's also freed up uh, additional cash flow, allowing them to further reduce debt. And then finally, uh, they haven't been taking on new debt, right? So um, that's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Because it, it does mean that you you are going to have to see um, investment in the business happen at some other point in the future, uh, but hopefully the operational cost savings and the interest cost savings will help uh, make that a bit of a, a cheaper endeavor than it would have been a year ago. Yeah, and, and I suppose the, the the market crash caused by the uh, the COVID nineteen crash, as it were. Uh, um, you know, f- uh, completes that uh, puzzle from a price perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, well, you're always uh, a fundamental uh, uh, person. What, what? In fact, uh, uh, let me rather put it this way: what, what got you first interested into the financial market? Oh goodness! Uh, what got me interested was the fact that I would have been a terrible actuary. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, um, I, I studied mathematics, um, uh, financial mathematics, uh, as, a, as, as by my degree of my first degree at the University of Johannesburg. And I, I just I found it to be um, not as stimulating as I thought it was going to be because I really loved maths when, when I was at school. Um, but it felt like there was nothing that was changing. It felt like I was learning proofs from the 1960s and I wasn't really, it wasn't exciting to me at, at the time. And when I started looking at postgraduate studies, um, I, I had a few BCom subjects and I found it to be a lot more, more suitable to, to my personality and the way I think. And I, I started exploring the different um, BCom options out there. And a friend of mine actually went from maths to, to BCom as well. Um, and he went. He went on to study become um, investment management. Um, but then they said, "Okay, you have to do a bridging course." And I was like, "I don't really want to do a bridging course. Is there any other way that I can get into investment management? It just seems like such a cool um, degree." 
Um, and then they said, yeah, sure, you can do your CFA level one. So with absolutely no investment experience, knowing absolutely nothing about financial markets, I, I studied for, for my CFA level one. And it was, a, it was a pretty steep learning curve. And that's kind of what got me involved, just not wanting to be an actuary, I guess. <laughs> uh, ironically, you went back straight into numbers, though. Yeah, so I do love numbers. And um, one of the areas of the financial market that I think I, or there, there are a few things um, that I missed within the, the, the very kind of um, confined space of pure maths, um, as it were, was the fact that uh, there's, there's economics involved, there's news flow involved, it changes every single day. Um, and I also like the accounting aspect of it. So I guess that's also why fundamental analysis appealed to me just because I, I've always loved um, accounting and it's just it just came naturally to me um, and, and I mean like when something comes naturally to you uh, it it generally is something that you enjoy a little bit more um, than well what wasn't natural to me which was studying proofs yeah yeah true true um, uh, can you take me through your investment style and what you're looking for in in, in stocks and you know, you mentioned that um, uh, fundamental analysis was attractive to you on a personal level. What are some of the things that you look at um, in companies that you can always uh, um, refer to, uh, um, you know, like on a personal level? Yeah, so I mean, I, I really like a, a, a good narrative. So I have to understand where the company is going and what the purpose is of what they're doing. Um, so there has to be a good story attached to it. Um, I think that that's kind of where the 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 intention um, for growth or for the future is kind of stated, right? Um, when a company lacks a, a good narrative and they don't have a great strategy and it 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 all seems quite wishy washy and there's a lot of jargon, um, it, it's something that that I tend to stay away from, um, and that would kind of be a something that I would look at first, like what is the story? What are the drivers? What are the big thematics? How are, How is this company going to be relevant in 20, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years time? Um, and then the other thing that stands out to me is the, the quality of management. Um, are, they are they forthcoming? Are they nice? Uh, it sounds ridiculous, but are they nice? <laughs> because Arrogance and ego, I think, is a is a red flag to me. So if someone's not um, if someone's not approachable and they are they they kind of operate at a distance, um, it's something that I that I don't like. So are they nice? Um, and then uh, I then it's the, the the numbers, right? So um, how what does cash flow look like? Uh, is the balance sheet healthy? Um, how are they growing the the top line? Um, where are the potential for, for margin gains and efficiencies? Um, even if they're not, um, will the top line be able to support the business going forward? Um, so, so I think that those are kind of the, the main points. Oh, there are a million other things because <laughs> I, I'm a very curious person. I read a lot um, and sometimes it just grabs me. But I guess if I have to put it down to kind of four bullet points, that would be it. No, and and. Uh, how do you then pick your product once you have the story right? The books is good. Uh, um, you like the management. You, you like the company in general. Um, how do you then pick the price you pay for the company? 
Yeah, I'm a shameless bottom picker, hey? Um, <laughs> but, um, so so I, I, have, I do like to, to take an opportunity to buy into weakness, but I think that there are different ways of, of looking at it. Um, and there, there's not any hard and fast way of determining where to buy. So sometimes a company is just, just so good and they have such pre- predictable cash flow patterns going forward um, that even when they've had a strong showing, um, I'd still be comfortable to to buy it. I guess then I'll do a little bit more work. I'll do a little bit more um, more digging and I'll go as far as building the discounted cash flow model, making sure that it's a, it's a decent entry point and then I'll take it from there. Um, for other companies, it just it, it's just about getting the, the the timing right, getting the um, getting market sentiment right. Um, because if you, for example, uh, if you, for example, put your money behind um, MTN a year ago, uh, which would have been a very good idea. Um, a lot of guys in the market were starting to talk about MTN, so no one was actually buying MTN, but everyone started talking about it showing a little bit more interest that could sometimes be a be a signal that it's a, a, a good time to to start looking at it again um, there are some shortcuts in fundamental analysis as well um, sometimes a, a PE and a dividend yield just looks too juicy to um, to to let the, to let it pass you by I'm thinking specifically now the the coal miners but then again you have to kind of weigh that up against the narrative right in 40 years time, is there still going to be room for for a coal miner, um, and and perhaps that would be then a shorter term shorter term holding? So, yeah, there's there really isn't one specific thing, um, but I guess there are many many ways to skin a cat, and I I think we we mustn't be too hard on ourselves um, when it comes to picking these entry points. Also, sometimes you just get it wrong, and that's that's okay too. No, I'm not touching. And uh, and what about rules? Uh, you you mentioned the things that you like. Uh, what are some of the rules that you have in place that guide? Uh, because I, as 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 I understand, fundamental analysis, as much as there's there's a lot of structure around it, it's, it's mostly discretionary. Um, for example, mm. um, who's to say a company is good or bad or cheap or expensive? Um, at the end of the day, all of those are opinions. But you have. If uh, or if you have uh, some examples that you can take the top of your head, some of the examples that guide you uh, when when uh, researching a stock or um, things that you first start to look at when when starting a research on a company or in a sector. Uh, well, I, let's think about a stock that uh, we would all know. So, um, multi choice, for example, everyone knows multi choice. Everyone hates DSTV. Um, <laughs> they think the price <laughs> the price is too high. Everyone's canceling their their premium subscription until everyone uncancels their premium subscription. But no one's actually talking about that. But um, I, I remember when we when we when we looked at MTN uh, at at um, sorry at multi choice when it listed. Um, we kind of started by this that by distancing ourselves from our own prejudices, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is the the first step. Um, started reading extensively about um, strategic intent. Um, really focused and zoned in on the pre-listing statement, making sure that we understood what the company saw as its main advantages, what the company saw as its main risks, um, and making sure that we had a very good. Um, 
sense of what what the the actual drivers of that business is, what the markets are that they're operating in, what the nuances are with within those markets. Um, then then we started by by drawing up financial statements, and we started with the the forecasting. Um, the, the forecasting process, which involves using um, the, using forecasts for economic um, uh, economic fundamentals in in these different markets, and being quite conservative around it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, depending on the on the risks and how things play out, a, a lot of the geographies in which um, multi choice operates are, are quite volatile so you have to account for those kinds of things um, and then you start from the top eh? you start looking at revenue uh, you start breaking down revenue and revenue expectations um, across the different geographies and across the the different segments and you'll be surprised at what the the, the actual drivers of that revenue is I mean it's it's subscriptions Yes, but it's advertising revenue, which is extremely important. And then they have a big technology business as well, which contributes quite quite, quite nicely. And subscriptions and advertising is going to be driven by not just the, the whims of people who want to watch Premier League or Olympics, but actual um, kind of bread and butter stuff like electrification um in many of the the geographies in which my um, multi-choice operates there isn't electricity yet but as soon as electricity comes through to to a town or a village that possibility of getting access to um to a, a dsdv subscription or whatever it's called in a specific geography becomes a reality um in these spaces as well, you don't necessarily have broadband access. So some of the competition that you would expect to come through from the likes of a Netflix or Amazon Prime really doesn't even feature. Um, and in South Africa, we also looked at um, broadband broadband penetration and the actual impact that it is having on subscriptions. And it really isn't that meaningful because multi-choice still has a major monopoly when it comes to, um, to sport as well as local content. And then you look at stuff like TV ratings. TV ratings um, in South Africa, the top 10 uh, dramas in South Africa are all local. Uh, people want to watch uh, the river. They don't want to watch Game of Thrones necessarily. Maybe they watch both, but they definitely don't miss an episode of of the of the local content. So, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a deep deep dog <laughs> black hole. But eventually, you just start from the top, right? You start at revenue and you just start digging around at what's actually driving it instead of just saying, ah, you know what. South Africa's economy is contracting by two percent a year, um, in or is is only growing by two percent per year. It's in nominal terms. Let's put four percent inflation on it. We're going to grow revenue by six percent. It's lazy. Um, it's so much more nuanced than that. No, no, got you. And our market is, is uh, granted it's shrinking at the moment, um, but it, it has quite a quite a bit of stock. I think a uh, hundred hundred plus, uh, and. Of, and I, I would assume that uh, you, you break all, all that uh, universe of stocks into uh, in, into into a few that you put in, in, inside a portfolio. What are some of the big no-nos that um, kickstock up? Some of the big no-nos. Yes, that that, um, uh, that kick a stock out. Oh, the kick a stock out. Um, definitely, um, 
it, it's the, the I think if there's anything that we learned from from Steinoff, um, it's it's management, um, it's poor corporate governance, um, it's not being willing to answer questions. Um, again, ego plays a big role. If you don't trust the management team, you do not want the stock in your portfolio. Um, and then the other thing is a, a big irresponsible kick up in debt. Um, I think that's something that we we learned um, from from Aspen back in the day. It's something that we learned from Ascenders Health a little bit more recently. Uh, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble, and some of the guys get out of it, and some of them just simply can't. So um, I think those would be the two major red flags that stand out uh, that stand out for me. Oh, sorry, there's a third, um, and that is a very very high. Um, intangible assets especially if you can't really justify it <laughs> so um big goodwill um line items uh, big brand and patent line items where you don't really actually know the brand that well um i mean ultimately we're we're all consumers we're all south africans we're all humans we know when we know a brand if there's a big brand equity charge for example in financial statements it's just it's a stock that it's a company that you don't really know um, stay away. Um, and then there's a there's a really funny one. Um, one of the the smaller cap stocks on the JSC recently wanted to um, launch their own coin. Um, and you'll know what I'm talking about, but I won't say the name. <laughs> and when I looked at the at the um, the coin prospectus or whatever, it was signed Bon Voyage. Now that is a massive red flag to me. Yeah, that's that's some ego play there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or oh, it's just a, a a weird premonition, right? Bon voyage. Doesn't that mean goodbye? See you later. That's it's weird. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and and speaking of 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 uh, uh, um, red flags and risk, how, how, what's your philosophy and how do you approach risk and money management in the portfolio? So I think your your number one um, kind of uh, guard against risk is is proper diversification. So um, you need to have enough stocks in your portfolio. They need to be different from each other. They need to behave differently to each other. So different geographies different sectors, um, different, different subsectors within those sectors, and just making sure that your, your volatility in your portfolio isn't, isn't unacceptably high. Um, I think that that's, that's probably the, the best way of, of managing your risk. And then just having your finger on the pulse and making sure that you understand the companies that you're invested in very well and that you follow them quite closely. Um, and also, when when these red flags appear, having the courage to and, and the conviction to actually press that sell button. No, I no, got you. And and what about the 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 sizing uh, the sizing uh, part? And also, uh, um, when when it comes to good comp two good companies of the same sector. So so from the size, are you talking about like very large companies? What to do when you've got very like very large positions in specific companies? Yes, like how do you decide I mean that, the weighting in a portfolio, even from the get go? 
Oh yeah. So I mean, it depends on what your what your your goal is, right? So, um, when you are building portfolios for for clients and they measure you against a, a benchmark, then you would probably reference the benchmark to make sure that you're not taking outsized or too big bets, because otherwise they're going to be um, on your case when uh, when it goes when it goes wrong. Specifically, if you are taking big bets on on smaller companies. Um, when it comes to your own portfolio, I think that it, again it depends on on what your what your goals are. I wouldn't want any any company to be more than ten percent of of my portfolio, but sometimes it is for a while. I mean, you have if you if you bought if you bought Sassel last year in in March, um, it might be a very large part of your portfolio right now. Um, but they might still be, there's still a lot in Sassel. So you don't necessarily want to, to sell it down. Um, in that case, it's just important to make sure that you continue allocating to, to other stocks as well. And then that, that bet becomes a, a little bit smaller. So it's very, I, I don't think you need to be too hard on yourself if, if, your, if your goal isn't to outperform an index specifically. Um, but yeah, very important to actually have those goals in mind and, and, and understand what your risk tolerance is. So if you are comfortable having 30% in a stock, um, you just need to know that if that thing falls by, by 50%, it's going to have a massive impact on your portfolio. Um, whereas if you have your biggest weighting is about 4% or 5% or even 10%, that, um, that impact won't be as large. Right. Uh, do, do you have... Uh, um... Um, stops on 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 your uh, on the stocks that you pick. In other words, uh, uh, when do you decide that you're wrong on the stock? S sorry, um, can you repeat that? I just missed you for a sec. Um, I was asking that. Do you do you have stops on uh, stocks that you pick? Um, or in other words, uh, how do you know that you were wrong on uh, on this particular stock? Oh, how do you know you were wrong? Yes. Oh goodness. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, again, it depends on your, your time horizon. Um, and, uh, I mean, it, it also depends on how you are trading the stock. So if you are looking at it from a technical point of view, um, then it's, then it is important to have those stops in place. And then it depends on which indicators you are specifically looking at when you are buying something for the very long term. Um, I think that it's important to give a little bit of, uh, of, of leeway. Uh, sometimes your your initial investment idea is really good, but something something happens unexpectedly that derails it for a while. Um, and then it's important to make sure that you do your homework and make sure if the if the the fundamental um, case for it and the the big picture for it has changed drastically. Um, and you need to be quite honest about it as well. Um, I'm actually quite bad at selling stocks, but um, I think that it's it's something that you you need to probably spend a little bit more more time on. Um, but yeah, if if something's going down, it's worthwhile looking at it and making sure that you're still happy to hold it. But if you're buying it with um, from a technical perspective and you're only looking to hold it for a short time, then I think you need to be quite strict um, on your stops. I got you. I got you. Um, just to, to to change it a little bit, um, what are some of the uh, advice that you got in the beginning? You thought was rock solid, um, and you built habits around it. And now that you're older and smarter, and with the benefit of hindsight, it was actually a terrible idea. Um, 
And what 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 are some of the processes that you that you uh, took off to unlearn the habits that you that you picked up? Oh goodness, I'm still learning. As I as I said before, I'm bad at selling stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that I was trying to be um, too too clever, so I was trying to buy very small stocks or very. Um, and, and then I wouldn't have done the, all the homework on it that that I should have done on it. Um, I think that when you enter the market it's, and you listen to kind of people with a lot of experience talk, you kind of think that it's as easy as a PE or a dividend yield. And you don't you don't consider that they've been in the industry for, for 30, 40 uh, years and they know every company inside out. They've seen the company at its best. They've seen it at their worst. They've seen it through four or five CEOs, but sometimes even more. Um, and you think it's as easy as, as just looking at a at something like a PE or dividend yield and, and buying something. Um, you learn very quickly that that is not the way to do it. You learn very quickly that you also need to do the digging, you need to do the scratching, and you need to get very up close and personal with these companies before you are going to be able to speak in that way and actually make snap investment decisions. Um, what I learned that for me was the fact that I lost a lot of money as a very young person just entering the the working world, and it was it was painful and was quite embarrassing. And um, yeah, I mean, I I I think that I I I don't uh, ever want to talk about taste holdings again. <laughs> no, I was about to ask if you have any uh, memorable painful traits that or investment that made in the past. Oh my goodness, taste holdings! I fell for the CEO ego. I fell for every trick in the book. Um, I, yeah, it's, and, and I mean, this is now many years ago. I ended up, um, I ended up s selling it. Um, uh, yeah, this is probably like six or seven years ago already, but your, that was painful. <laughs> uh, I participated in rights offers. Um, it was just, it was a very hard lesson to learn. Um, and, and that's, that's the thing. You, you go to a results presentation you're young, you're fresh out of varsity, the CEO comes out, they give you the snacks from all the different <laughs> um, Zebra's chicken and uh, Maxi's and you just think, wow, this is so, this is such a wonderful company. I love their strategy. They're going to bring in Domino's pizza and yeah, I, I fell for it. And um, I, I think that's why uh, CEO showmanship um, and and ego is something that's now so off-putting to me. <laughs> um, and, and was selling there a matter of capitulation, or uh, um, there were other reasons that drove you to sell? Oh, taste holdings. Yeah. Um, no, it was just uh, I, I just it, the the holding became so small, um, and I definitely didn't want to add to it, so I just decided to to let it go. Um, it, it's like um, it, it, keeping something like that is like uh, keeping a scab or having a scab on your arm. And it, it's quite small, but you keep on scratching it. Um, so you're very aware of it because it because you've got like this, you, you're scratching it and it's kind of bleeding. Um, like just leaving it alone and just like getting away from it is probably the the, the best way to um, to just, yeah, let go. Um I, you shouldn't be holding stuff like that. It just reminds you of the mistakes that you made. 
And why why do you think uh, um, that phenomenon is 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 quite uh, widespread, in, in, especially at the retail level, that investors are happy to hold on to a dog, but they are quick to sell a winner? Why do you think that phenomenon exists? Um, so I mean, it's it's loss aversion, right? Um, so loss aversion, um, which is a it, it's a it's a it's an investor bias. It's very natural. It's human. We don't want to admit that we've made a mistake. We don't want to take the loss because that would mean that we lost, uh, that we're um, that we that we didn't get it right. People don't want to be wrong. Um, that's the first reason, and the second reason is plain old FOMO, fear of missing out. What if it makes a comeback? Now it's going to make a comeback and I'm going to look so stupid. I'm going to have egg on my face because I sold Taste Holdings at two rand fifty. Um, you know what? Most of the time you won't have egg on your face when something is a, a dog like that. Also, if you bought Taste Holdings at four rand twenty, like it's going to take such a long time and it's going to take so much for the company to get back to that level. Um, it, it's just not, you can do something else with the capital and, um, and you can do a lot for your anxiety by, by letting go of it. Um, I'm not saying that you'll always be, be right to let it go. Um, but there, there's, there's just, I think there's an opportunity cost of holding on to these dogs. Uh, you can, you can buy something better. Um, that's just my, my little two cents about it. <laughs> yeah, hey, you know, uh, when I was asking, you know, uh, the, the the advice you thought was solid at the beginning, one one of mine is, you know, it's only a, lo- uh, a loss if you sell. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I think the opposite is actually true. Um, it's only a yeah. No, Ugh. sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for you. <laughs> how did you, how did you unlearn that? Um, uh, one of the books I read was O'Neill's uh, uh, um, "How to Make Money in Stocks and uh, Market Wizards." His interview in Market Wizards said, "Selling doesn't give you a loss. You already had it. Selling just stops yeah. the loss." Mm. And 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 just knowing that um, I can always just jump back in. I don't have to continue yeah. to lose money to 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 find out if I recover or if it will. I'll just jump back in. If it's not, I'll be in a much healthier, both from a pocketbook perspective and from a mental capital perspective. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's great advice. Um, uh, mentorship and and uh, you know someone holding your hand because markets aren't like any other careers necessarily where you know there's always a right way to do things. Uh, markets are always weird. Did you have, did, did you have a mentor uh, coming into the industry, and did you in turn also uh, mentor other people? Yeah, I uh, I had a um, a mentor that was very close to me, um, Mark Appleton. He used to be the the CIO at BJM, which is where I started my career and MT, and then subsequently bought BJM. Mark retired about two or three years ago, and um, we worked closely uh, up until then. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was a difficult man to to please, but uh, a, a jewel of a person. Uh, we laughed a lot, and I learned so much. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I can't I can't think of of anything better in financial markets to have someone who actually helps you through it, and especially the first few crises. I mean, the first few big sell-offs and everyone's pulling out their hair and this guy just comes to you and he's like, 
we don't panic. <laughs> we, we don't panic. <laughs> you stay the cause. The situation is fluid. Number one rule, don't panic. Um, and, and just making sure that you actually understand what's going on before you you take any any drastic action. No, I mean it's it was it was one of the the, the most profound relationships of of my entire life, and it's absolutely um, set up my my long term career in financial markets. Um, in terms of of mentorship, uh, from my from my own perspective, it it kind of takes a while to let go of the of the the feeling that you are still too young um or that you don't have enough experience yet before you start mentoring people but i have uh, i have a team of of five i work with and i like to think that that i'm mentoring them um in in a similar way um but i don't see myself necessarily as <laughs> as a mentor i almost see myself as as a peer, just asking, but have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? Relook at this number; it doesn't look right. Um, I almost see myself as as that person more than than a mentor that's that's changing lives yet. Maybe one day. No, no, thank you. Was was staying calm the biggest lesson you learned from your mentor with the other uh, major major lessons you've picked up from? Yeah, I mean, staying calm, absolutely. Um, secondly, just just kind of doing your research, making sure that you actually know what you're talking about, um, especially when when things when when everyone else is fearful. Um, but yeah, maintaining a cool head is is the key thing. And then he's actually one of those people who also just sells stuff that's like that's rubbish. So <laughs> perhaps I I picked that up from him. I mean, there's no use in holding on to something that's 0.25 percent in your portfolio and giving you sleepless nights. Yeah, yeah. Just another thing that I learned from him, uh, work-life balance is a huge thing. Um, Mark lived in Durban um, and he would go paddleboarding like every, every morning or afternoon or like he'd make time to go paddleboarding. He'd make time to go and go for a long walk um, and he'd always make time for his family. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that's quite important as well. Your, your time in the market is still your, your job, right? Um, and your time in the market is still time away from your, your family and your passions, your passions outside of your work, of course. Um, and that's, that's very vital and it's very important to, to remember. Yeah. And uh, to, to that point, what are some of the tricks you have to, to, to maintain that balance? Because um, I would imagine some of some of your work overlays or uh, uh, overlap uh, in terms of hours. Yeah, so I mean, I I try to make time for exercise every single day. So at least one hour a day, I put aside to to train, clear my mind, get some endorphins, um, and then I'm also very flexible on myself. So, for example, if I know that I've I have nights that I am going to be committed to my work um, where I'll be doing media or interviews or um, I'll need to prepare something big for the next day. Um, I give myself two hours in the afternoon. Um, it's also very difficult to not have balance when you have a two-year-old and you're working from home. So um, you, you, it, it kind of forces you to become a little bit more, more balanced as well. But I actually schedule out in my outlook. I schedule out time that I'm doing other things outside of work to make sure that I actually maintain that balance. Yeah, 
So if you look at my diary, um, you will actually see gaps that say baby swimming, where I'm taking the baby <laughs> swimming and gym, where I'm going to the gym and um, just kind of forcefully trying to not be in front of my computer or talking about markets or thinking about markets uh, for 13, 14 hours a day. Because I start, I start every morning at 5.30. Most evenings I'm done at 7. I mean, that's not sustainable. Yeah. So you have to carve out that time uh, in the middle of the day if you can't carve out that time after work. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, uh, in, in your, I know that you, 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 you're largely a fundamental uh, um, researcher. Um, do you have like a technical analysis over there to, to, to analysis or is it just strictly fundamental? So we have a, at, at FMB, um, we have a, a trade ideas that we send out, we send four out a week, a um, couple of local, a couple of, of offshore, depending on where the, the opportunities lie. Um, and we work with a, a technical analyst called Piet Sarfontein, who's really great. Um, and we've had some some really decent success. Um, so I absolutely uh, ascribe to it. Um, I just don't. I just don't know. Um, I just don't know it that well. And it's probably an area of development for me. Udemy is probably going to take my my money pretty soon. Um, but from from what Piet does, I mean, I read everything be, before it goes out. But from what he does, um, I. I think keep it keep it simple, stupid. I think would be the the way to to call it. Um, I mean, we he typically would look at at um, at MACDs, at moving averages, um, Fibonacci sequences, which I find very fascinating as a as a mathematician um, by myself. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, stuff like um, RSI uh, forward calculations, just trying to kind of see if your if your um price targets that you put on on a stock is actually realistic and just small things like that but I, it's not one main thing uh, I, and i think that that's probably what what i've learned from him the most is it's a it's almost a million different little things that that line up from a technical perspective before you actually press the the buy button it's not just it's not just one thing but it's not a million different overly complicated things. It's it's actually um, quite intuitive if you if you look at it. Yeah. And uh, you know the the fundamental uh, versus technical has been a contentious issue for for for, for some time in the markets. Um, what do you think of of of, of the two? Like uh, you know, are there differences to far, far apart from each other? Oh no, we use them together. Hey? So I mean, when we when we put out a trade recommendation, um, we absolutely use them together. So we actually start with the technicals. We we look at which stocks screen very well from a technical perspective, and then we decide from a fundamental perspective which are the stocks that we currently like and which are the stocks that we're actually avoiding currently. So we won't put out a, a trade idea if we don't like the fundamentals. Um, and we won't, and and but we always um, have a bit of a, a technical overlay attached to it. Um, I think when you are looking at, it becomes a little bit more complicated when you're looking at a company with a very short trading history, or you're looking at a company that is going to that's about to list, or um, or is is pretty new to to the JSE. 
but I mean, if you've got a really nice long history, um, I mean, just the, the, the success that we've had with these trade ideas by combining the two um, just goes to show that they're not necessarily as far apart as, as people think they are. No, no, I agree. I tend to agree uh, with that a lot. Um, in, in, your, in your opinion, uh, what, uh, you know, majority of, of market participants get it wrong? I mean, uh, especially in, in, in leverage, uh, leverage areas. What do you think distinguishes from uh, winners from losers in, in the market? Oh, well, you just mentioned the, the leverage product. I mean, I, I personally have never even, even tried it. Um, I, sometimes I wish I have, like when I get a call really, really right. But um, I think that, I think that, that temperament is, is a big thing. Um, and I think that like not being too hard on yourself is a big thing. And I think selling at the right time is also, is also very important. Um, also not getting caught up in the exuberance. So, um, and that exuberance can translate to, to FOMO as well. Um, keeping your portfolio separate from that of your, your friends and, and family. You don't have to buy something just because someone is giving you a hot tip. Um, that hot tip might be very cool by the time that it reaches your ears. Um, so make sure that you do your own research. Uh, don't get up don't get caught up out with with FOMO because I think that that's probably where um, you will be you will you will get most of your disappointing trades um, will probably be those those oh no guy you're missing out you need to buy this <laughs> um, everyone's buying it I think that's that's yeah that would be that would be a, a, a loser approach to the markets um, rather say why are they buying it. And then you go and Google, what, is, what are they doing? <laughs> like, what is this company? Um, yeah. People always ask me for stock tips and I hate it because it's not, there isn't such a thing as a stock tip. There's such a thing as a, as a company and there are good companies and bad companies. And it's very important to, to make sure that you actually understand what you're investing in and not just going on what everyone else is, is doing. Yeah, and unfortunately, the pro- the bigger problem with with um, tips is that unfortunately you're gonna have to hold a, con- uh, a position of conviction, and you can't borrow conviction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, you cannot. It's it's something that you have to to work on for yourself, and it's something that you have to actually do the work on yourself. Um, yeah. you, you someone else can't do it for you. Yeah, and unless you've done the work yourself, it's going to be very, very hard, uh, very, very hard for you to um, to trust both the system and and uh, the court itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, last, Chantal, uh, uh, what are some of the, the your, your favorite books uh, and book recommendations you recommend for for, for traders or investors alike? Oh, okay. So, I mean, I, as I mentioned, I mean, it's all about the story. It's all about the narrative. And sometimes it's about thinking a little bit differently. So um, when it comes to books, I generally, um, I generally like the more philosophical type of stuff that's not necessarily directly related to the markets because um, you might not want to follow someone else's advice um, uh, page for page. Uh, but I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell and the way that he thinks. And I think it's worthwhile to 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 read all of his books, really. Um, and then we also have, uh, you also have the book, this, the Freakonomics books, which I think are really great, just to start learning about how different things that you might not think are very obvious 
um, actually influences stuff that 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 you didn't expect, um, and that's also a really cool introduction to to the way that we think as fundamental analysts as well, and when we start scratching and digging. Um, in terms of um, of podcasts, again, I listen to some really um, some really weird stuff that's a lot more um, kind of uh, philosophical in nature. But from a um, markets perspective, the if if you want to kind of pick up what's going on on a day to day basis, the Bloomberg podcasts are are really great. And um, of course, Simon Brown's Money Web Now podcast is is also pretty awesome. Um, but I mean, in terms of kind of day to day listening and and stuff that really makes you makes you think, um, there are two podcasts that I really like. Uh, the one being Revisionist History from Malcolm Gladwell. Obviously, I'm a bit of a groupie. Um, and then the other one is a um, is called Cautionary Tales. It's also from from Pushkin Industries, which is the producer of of Revisionist History. Um, and it's it's just a, a really lack of podcast to get stuck into um, about how people get things wrong. And I guess that that's something that really relates to to investments and the stock market as well. Yeah, I've been looking for 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 new podcasts to listen to. I'll definitely check those out. Yeah, no, enjoy. They're great. Yeah. Um, Chantal, thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, without every, without uh, giving us stock tips, uh, please don't. <laughs> uh, what, what is your, your current view of, of um, the shorter term and longer term uh, trends in our market at the moment? So I do think that the, the market has some, some legs from here, especially in the SA Inc. space. Um, so from a shorter term perspective, I'm, I'm really happy to, to be involved in, in SA Inc. So those would be the, the retailers and the banks. I think the insurance space looks very interesting at the moment. They've taken quite a big beating um, post-COVID, but they have very solid balance sheets. And I think that they can get... Um, on track pretty pretty quickly. I also think healthcare looks pretty pretty good at the moment, similar to to insurance. Big hit from COVID nineteen, but um, I, I expect them to to make a, a comeback at some point. Um, and and I think longer term, um, my thinking remains: stay well diversified, take the opportunities as as they come your way, um, make sure you have some offshore exposure too, because I think that that is quite quite important. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult to make a long-term call on specific stocks, but equities has never underperformed inflation over a rolling 10-year period. <laughs> and I don't think it's about to, to start now. Yeah, yeah. Plus, our market looks uh, fairly, fairly healthy at the moment. Yeah. Now, I'm going to get unless you have uh, last words. No, um, that is that is all from me. Um, happy trading, everyone, and um, yeah, enjoy the markets as well. Um, don't take yourself too too seriously. Money is a serious thing, but your sanity is more important. That is some great advice. Thank you very much, Nashantol. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm going to pop here. That's it for the show this week. Uh, be sure not to miss another episode of the Radio Show Podcast by subscribing on your favorite podcatcher wherever where good podcasts are aggregated. Do join Simon Brown and myself this evening as you're listening for the Trader Five Thirty. Um, the link to that uh, will be in the show notes below. Otherwise, um, thank you very much for your time and thank you for listening. Check you next time on the Trader. Cheers.